0: Good morning Northeast. I hope you're well this morning. I wonder if you've ever seen the 1995 movie Braveheart, the story of a Scottish hero, um, William Wallace, who was fighting in the first Scottish War of Independence around the 1300s. In the movie, Mel Gibson plays the role of William Wallace, and there's this famous scene where he's painted with blue and white paint on his face, and he's in battle clothes and he's riding his horse up and down the lines of the soldiers, trying to stir them with a rousing speech. And there's a famous line in that speech, he says, Tell our enemies they may take our lives, but they will never take away our freedom. And after this inspiring speech, the army charges off into battle. Over the past months, there's been a few battles for freedom, even in Australian cities. As people have gathered together to protest about the covid restrictions and as these restrictions are lifting we find a new freedom again and new freedom is the title of this message this morning along the theme of the dawning of a new day we follow on from the lessons of abraham and joseph that we heard a couple of weeks ago but we skip forward 400 years in history to look at Moses and the exodus of the nation of Israel who'd been in slavery in Egypt for those 400 years. The dictionary defines freedom as the condition or right of being able or allowed to do, say or think whatever you want to without being controlled or limited, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But the Bible tells us that true freedom is actually something more than this. We'll turn now to the Bible and read uh, the story from Exodus chapter 1. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph, or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us, and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labour. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centres for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks, and do all the work in the fields, they were ruthless in all of their demands. You might recall from Samuel's message two weeks ago that God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and they would have their own land, but circumstances at this point didn't look too cheerful, and no doubt the people wondered if they'd ever see the fulfilment of that promise. But 400 years in slavery was actually a vital part of God's plan in making them into a great nation. In Joseph's time, we heard about Joseph last week when Pam spoke. In Joseph's time, his father Jacob and brothers all came to Egypt to get away from the famine, and God rescued them and gave them food. So, 400 years prior to this, a family goes into Egypt, and now a nation is ready to leave. But why would God allow them to be in slavery all all of that time? Well, it was to grow a nation that worshipped him and him only. If you read through stories of Jacob and his sons, you'll find that the sons were starting to marry women from other countries, other cultures, foreigners. And in these marriages, these ladies would bring in their customs and their culture and their gods and their idols. And these were in the household. God desired that the nation he was growing would worship him and him only. However, while they were in Egypt, the Egyptians actually looked down on the Israelites and they would not intermarry. And so as hard as life is for the Israelites, God was protecting his people as they grew into a nation. And the point is this, that the very thing we cry out for freedom from may be the very thing that God has placed us in for his purpose. If we find ourselves in a situation where we need freedom and we don't understand what's happening, we feel like we're enslaved in some way, why not ask God, what is it that you want me to learn through this experience? How do you want me to grow? Perhaps, God, you're protecting me from something. What is it that I need to know? But God is good. And at the end of Exodus chapter 2, we read, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of their slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. I love this next verse. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. So God does understand, he does hear when we cry, and he does know the time to act. So God called Moses in a miraculous manner and gave him the task of going to Pharaoh to demand that the nation of Israel be set free and go to the Promised Land. Pharaoh didn't agree, and God sent ten plagues that brought suffering and finally death in Egypt, eventually convincing Pharaoh to let the people go. Can you imagine the excitement and hope the Israelites felt as they left Egypt? And though they left at night, it certainly was the dawning of a new day for them, and more than this, a whole new life. But even though God was orchestrating their release from slavery and moving them to a promised land, the Israelites didn't really know who God was. Yes, they knew he was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but after 400 years of living in Egypt, Certainly, the Israelites' view of God would have been influenced by the Egyptian culture. That included many gods. So the Israelites knew of God, but they didn't really know God. He wasn't personal to them. But the miraculous experiences of the plagues began to reveal to the Israelites who God really was, the one above all creation. The Israelites were to learn that God's power was even greater than the power of the Egyptians. So the Exodus wasn't merely getting the Israelites out of Egypt so they could live in the promised land. It was more about learning who God was and entering into a new and personal experience of God in a way that would change their lives forever. And we read from Exodus chapter nine, sorry chapter 29 where God is speaking and he says to the people, I will live among the people of Israel and be their God and they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. And here is the key point for today. That freedom is not just about being rescued from slavery or our circumstance. It's not just about being allowed to do, say or think whatever we want to do without being controlled or limited. True freedom is about knowing God and living in his presence. This is the new freedom. And that was the whole point of Exodus. It wasn't just leading the people across the desert into a promised land, but leading the nation of Israel into a relationship with God. And that's freedom that we can experience today. Freedom's not about our circumstances or where we live or what restrictions are placed on our lives or lifted from our lives or about what state borders we can and can't cross or how much money we have or what influence we have on others or the influence they have on ourselves. It's about being free from the bondage of sin that creates a void between us and God. It's about being in a place where we have a relationship with God, where we are his people and he is our God. And unless we know God and have that relationship with him, sin is our slave master and we're not really free at all. God also gave the Israelites guidelines as to how to live in this new freedom, how they should worship him and have a right relationship with one another. They had to unlearn some of the habits and culture of Egypt. And as they journeyed through the desert to the Promised Land, God gave them very specific rules and guidelines. Captivity was all that they knew and they needed to know how to live a life of freedom, how to live a life that was pleasing and acceptable to God they had to learn that every aspect of life has to be submitted to God. And it's the same for us. God wants us to live in a relationship with him and be free of sin, and he gives us guidelines as to how to live that life. In Galatians chapter 5, we read, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So true freedom is living in relationship with God, and that should be evident in our relationships with others. Let's take a moment and uh, think about Pharaoh. So by definition, Pharaoh was living in freedom. He could think what he pleased, say what he wanted. He could get others to do what he wanted them to do. He could do what he wanted. He wasn't controlled by anyone, but rather others were at his command. He had no opposition. By dictionary definition, that was true freedom. And when Moses approached him to request that the Israelites be let go, there was no obligation for him to comply. He was in charge. But Pharaoh's heart was stubborn, and at first the plagues that God sent seemed more of a nuisance than anything else, but they were actually highly confronting to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, because the plagues were not just random events. The real purpose of the plague was to show the Egyptians and Israelites who God was. and The plagues actually struck at the core of Egyptian belief in their own created god, gods, who were at the centre of their culture. They showed that God is God over everything. An example, one plague was that the Nile River was turned into blood. Now the Egyptians revered the Nile as a god in itself. It was the god of fertility and the god of life. But when God turned it into blood, it just became a smelly representation of death. Another of the plagues was when God sent hail and then locusts to destroy the crops. The Egyptians had a god of Sirius who represented agriculture and harvest, and that God was unable to prevent destruction. Even Pharaoh admitted that the earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Another of the plagues was darkness. The Egyptians worshipped the sun as a god. But God had power over the sun and blocked the light coming through. The miracle was, where the Israelites lived in Egypt, it was still light. But for the Egyptians, they were all in darkness. So God was powerful over everything that the Egyptians believed. But Pharaoh still held on to what he knew. He was stubborn, and that led to his destruction. And that can happen to us too. Holding on to what we think we know, and the Bible warns against that, to what we have, the lifestyle that we're accustomed to, the beliefs we think are right, and the culture we know, just because they're ours and they feel right, can enslave us and keep us from the freedom of a relationship with God. If we want to have that relationship with God and really be in freedom, we have to step back at times and check what we are doing, what we are thinking, what we believe in the light of the Word of God and see if those things are what promotes a life in relationship with God or not. If our ears are deaf and our hearts are stubborn to the claims of Jesus on our lives, Then we're not experiencing the freedom that can be had from a life that's in communion with God. We can even enslave others with our attitudes and our desire to control their lives. Jesus says in John chapter 12 those who love their life in this world will lose it, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Let's take a moment now and think about Moses. And while the dawning of this new day of freedom created a sense of joy and hope for the people, it was very different for Moses. Moses had already established a life out of Egypt, away from slavery. It was a low-care life. He had all he needed. He had a job, a wife, children, kind and generous in-laws. And at age 80, God chose Moses to lead the nation out of Egypt. So Moses wasn't just one of the gang who was going on a long journey to the promised land. He was the one that had the responsibility, whose task it was to listen to God, to mediate between God and the people, to arbitrate between the grumbling people, the one that had to show the way. For Moses, it was hard work. And from the point of view of freedom, Moses should have been heading for retirement, the time when you're free to leave the pressures of work behind and relax and do what you want to do each day. When Moses was called by God, it wasn't to a simple one-off task or a bit of a shift in careers. It was to an entire reorientation of his life. Initially, he wasn't keen. When God told Moses what the task was, his first reply was, God, I'm unworthy. God replied, I am with you. Moses then said to God, Well, I have an inadequate knowledge. I don't know what to do. God said, You've heard of my faithfulness in the past, and I hold the knowledge of the future. Moses then said, Well, God, I, I lack any power or, or, or authority. God, I can't do it. God's reply was, I am all powerful. Moses then said, Well, God, I can't speak effectively. And God said to Moses, It's not dependent on your ability, but on a willing heart. Have you ever felt that way, where God's call doesn't feel like freedom, but rather heading into a more complicated and challenging life? I have, and even recently. But here's what I've learned we'll never really experience the freedom and fulfillment of God's purpose if we stay in places of safety and security especially if God is calling us to something more. We constrain ourselves to live in captivity. So the cry of a heart that's not fully surrendered to God is always, give me the security of slavery rather than the risk of faith. But God calls us to totally surrender our hearts to him. And this is where we truly find freedom. As I finish, I'd like to share something I heard this week It's a remarkably simple yet profound statement. It is solved by walking with God. Don't you love that? It is solved by walking with God. The Israelites literally were walking with God. They had a long journey to go. It solved their problem of slavery. It solved their limited understanding of who God was. And eventually solve their nation's homelessness. Pharaoh thought he had nothing to solve. Life was perfect as it was and he dug his heels in and remained stubborn and found that all he had was lost. Moses, though reluctant at first, walked and talked with God. In doing so he found true purpose and freedom. He was part of God's solution. And I like that more than finding the problem was solved by walking with God, Moses helped to be the one working with God to solve the problem. May we also walk with God and find a new freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these people in the Bible who were faithful servants of yours. We thank you for the stories of Abraham and Joseph and now Moses and the Israelites. Lord you called them into a freedom but that freedom wasn't just a new land it was a new relationship with you. Father I pray that we will also walk with you and as we do we'll find so many problems and challenges in our life are solved and we'll enter into a new freedom. Father we love you and we want to walk with you every day. Amen. God bless you for the week ahead.